Hello, everyone. Welcome again to this week's episode of The Nielsen Show, where I am going to take you on a trip once again. So come with me down the rabbit hole. That is the greater plot of The Great Reset. All right, so let's go down this list, shall we? This is uh, just a kind of a recap, and this is only pieces of the bigger puzzle. Uh, but like I say, without doing six-hour podcasts that everybody's going to get totally bored of, I'm going to try and cut this one down a little shorter. The last one last week ended up being over three hours, so <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and get this explained out the best I can without it dragging on too long. Um, so... Uh, I, I'm going to start this off with a, a thing I heard and kind of add my own stuff into it. So I think it was uh, Jesse Kelly was talking about how kings, you know, they live in a castle. And they, they you know, they're all covered in walls, you know, and they're protected by soldiers and whatever. Uh, not much different than our political elites. They live in their own private little neighborhoods, you know, with fences and stuff that you know, keep up, keep unwanted people out, you know, the same thing that they say that we're not allowed to have at the border. But anyways, so if you take the king, he goes up on the top of his wall and he looks over and what he wants to see is all the people infighting within themselves. Because as long as they're doing that, they're not all turning in agreement and looking at the king to see what he's doing. And the stuff that they're doing to make the people's lives more miserable. So anyways, that was kind of the analogy thing I'd heard I wanted to start off with because it kind of ties into everything else. Um, So there was uh, a while back, the Governor Whitmer plot with the uh, Wolverine Watchmen. Uh, I think it was during the 2020 election time, you know, the... Turns out there was like more FBI informant people involved in all that than there was actual watchmen that they tried to charge with, you know, trying to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Um, I think that's kind of winding down now as far as uh, them being acquitted for the most part and mistrials. And now the you know, prosecutors want to try and retry a couple of them on some other charges or whatever. I don't know. It's. Still ongoing, I guess, for the most part, but most of them were all cases were thrown out and all kinds of stuff. Because this is not the first time, unfortunately, that the FBI has done similar plots like this to try and charge somebody with terrorism plots to make them look like, hey, look what we did. We just stopped a terrorist plot. You know, you, you guys really need us <laughs> not to find out that they were the ones that caused the, the radicalization of the person in the first place. Anyways, moving on. Um, do we have border security or not? Are we a sovereign nation or are we part of the open border societies, which is a lot what uh, George Soros wants the world to be? Uh, you know, everybody should just be able to go wherever you want, you know, in the world without passports and blah, blah, blah. Well, we all know how that'll turn out because we still have actual terrorists in this world that, you know, especially hate Americans. And are still plotting to get here and blow stuff up like they always do. Uh, That's kind of just their radical belief. 
It's not anything that we're going to change, but if we're just letting them willy-nilly come across our southern border, more than likely, because, you know, they don't, our political establishment, for the most part, most, most, I would say, all the Democrats agree, and even some Republicans agree that, oh, we don't need to put up a border wall because it won't do anything. That's been their their mantra ever since Trump was in office that, oh, a border wall won't stop them from coming. No, but it at least might slow them down and give our border patrol a little bit of a, a break where there's, you know, hundreds of miles of border wall or just open border that they can't be in every spot all the time. And especially with uh, a rising, now that it's warming up, a rising surge of people coming to the border to get into America. Um, so the, they need to control the big tech and the media to help push their narratives. That's another piece. Uh, infiltrate the world governments, corrupt politicians, and even higher up law enforcements that are appointed by these corrupt politicians. Uh, typically at least here in America is by the president, you know, the higher ups in the FBI and the CIA, those people are all, the directors of those organizations are all appointed by the president. Um, let's see. Once, you, once you've got those people in place, then you implement draconian laws and policies. You know, we've seen that a lot with COVID, lockdowns and all that. And then also with green energy. You create policies that drive up energy costs. And then the only alternative is to spend money on green energy that's not really reliable. And shove it down everybody's throat before they have any idea of what's even going on. Um, you'll infiltrate the schools, confuse the kids, turn them against the parents, break up the nuclear family, and then you will have the next generation of useful idiots to finish implementing your plan. Um now we're going to start seeing supply chain issues with uh, which started with covid and all these lockdowns you know you got to you got to shut down the economies uh get your people scared get them to turn against one another you know you got the people that are the the full mask but you better get all of your covid jabs until the government says that you don't need to get them anymore and you've got the other more sensical people like myself <laughs> That basically can just, you know, tell them to, you know, go jump in the river. And especially now with this uh, Russian-Ukraine invasion, I think there's a lot of dirty stuff going on there. Um, we know Hunter Biden was involved with the Ukrainian gas company there, was getting paid ridiculous amounts of money to be on the board um, after his father had been in... The point man for Obama when he was vice president uh, and got him the job there. Also got the prosecutor that was investigating his son fired. Openly brags about it, but somehow we're all supposed to just look the other way. Um, and they also impeached Trump over his call with the Ukrainian president to try and weed out corruption. They twisted and turned that until, you know, they turned that one into a circus, and you know nobody had any anything to say against it because the Democrats had all the power. 
it, and it was bullcrap. They couldn't remove him, but they had enough people to vote to impeach him, which he was. But now that the uh, actual quid pro Joe is in office, um, but we still have Democrats in power, so unfortunately, nothing's going to be done about that babbling idiot. I mean, he's old. He's just he's been a corrupt politician his whole life. But he's been a plagiarist, but he serves a purpose right now. Um, but with the Ukraine Russia thing, there's going to be a lot of shortages because Ukrainians. Farmers have said that they're not going to plant as much because they're worried about getting bombed, basically. So they're not going to plant a lot of stuff. They grow a lot of wheat there, a lot of wheat in Russia, which America, most people don't understand. We are a great importer of a lot of these countries, wheat and different things, which, you know, creates flour, uh, multiple other things, cereals, all kinds of grains, you know, oats, whatever. That has been the problem that most people have been saying for a, a, quite a few decades is we need to quit exporting our factories and all, everything else to these other countries and then importing the goods uh, so these corporations can save their own money and make billions of dollars in profits. Now, I'm not, not against you know companies making profits, but if we, we've kind of created our own mess at the point we're at now. Um, we're also going to start seeing, well, we're going to notice it more, I guess, with all the big banks. Um, they're already talking about doing a federal digital dollar because that is another way they can control you. Absolutely. If they get around to being able to pull that off, uh, I think we're pretty well done because it's going to be a, a, essentially a hostile takeover. I know a lot of, oh, that's a conspiracy. The government would never do that. <laughs> Ask the American Indian what the government said they wouldn't do. <laughs> See how that worked out for them. Uh, but, you know, don't teach your kids history because, you know, they might actually know something and understand exactly what I'm talking about. These people that get into these positions of power, they don't typically really give a crap about you. They want their agenda pushed through. And whatever that agenda happens, be good or bad. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody else has noticed. Maybe I'm just preaching to the choir. But governments recently, especially under this Biden administration, basically are just they have the power in the House and the Senate, at least enough of it, to push through any kind of stupid, ridiculous bills that they want. And even if, you know, there's a good majority of people that say they don't want it, the politicians aren't listening to anybody anyways. They, they've they got to get this agenda to go through because it's, uh, as certain people have said, and I know this has been a conspiracy theory for decades, the New World Order, but certain people have let that slip out recently because I think they're getting emboldened enough that they can just think they say whatever they want and it's not going to have any consequences, which for the most part it hasn't. So we're at that point now, but like I say, there's other countries already that have started these digital currencies. Um, China's already rolled theirs out. So basically what the American version of that's going to be is you won't have paper money. You know, they won't have to spend all this money creating paper money. 
for one. But it's going to be a digital programmable to you specifically. So just like using your debit card, anybody can go use it. But if you've got one that's biometrically tied to you somehow, I don't know how they're going to do this exactly. I haven't really dug that deep into it, but just kind of what I've understood is that your money will be put in there. Uh, it's kind of tied to your name specifically and your Donald thumbprint, whatever. So whatever you buy now, they, once again, you've got people in the federal government that say, you know, we will never use this, you know, nefariously, we won't know who's spending what. And it's like, it's just so we can put money into people's accounts directly from the government. you know, they want to do the, uh, universal basic income type thing so everybody will get x amount of dollars every month so you know for a lot of people that'll disincentivize you to go to work if you're just getting free money but on the other hand it's also going to drive the cost of everything up throw inflation through the roof which it might already be heading there anyways and then we end up like venezuela because so far not directly, but indirectly, the federal government has been essentially taking over our energy, our U.S. energy production uh, between the war on coal and now the war on oil. Which I don't know if anybody's gone to the gas station and attempted to fill their vehicle with gas lately. <laughs> Probably about had a heart attack. That is is essentially if you look back at the history of what happened in Venezuela and how their economy basically collapsed and if you'd seen the news when all that happened you know and there was the the election stuff where Maduro said no I I won the election the new guy said no I'm actually the real new president now I got voted in and I just still don't think that even never got uh, resolved to tell you the truth it just kind of got swept under the rug and nobody's heard anything about it. But then you've seen people that were, you know, after the economy started crashing because essentially Maduro just was taking over domestic production of everything and taking over businesses and basically whatever he wanted, because that's kind of the socialist idea to run everything, even though they don't know how to run anything. It's the problem. So, uh, that's kind of the part of the digital currency disaster that hopefully is not going to hit us because it, uh, there are places that are starting to try and do a, oh, parallel economy, I guess is the best way they've described it. And that is to get out of the left wing areas, especially in big tech. It's other companies, you know, you know, producing their own, uh, apps and websites and stuff for more free speech or whatever. I mean, we're essentially kind of creating two different echo chambers for the most part. But worst case, you know, is if you're on those platforms and say you're a left wing person and you decide to go to one of these more right wing websites there, as long as you're not getting too crazy doxing and all the other crazy stuff some of people do, they're not going to kick you off the platform. Unlike Twitter and Facebook and all those guys that uh, decide if they don't like what you're saying, they just ban you or shadow ban you or just outright remove your page. Um, like I've said before, I've got tired of Facebook and just 
I mean, I miss the interaction with people I know, but I don't miss it. Miss the interaction with Facebook and their sensors. It's telling me basically what I can and can't say on their platform, even though it's not vulgar or anything like that, but it's against their narrative. <laughs> but that's the world we live in now. And, uh, also, the with the financial sector, before I get too far off here, is the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink. Um, if you have retirement in stocks or any of these management, uh, money management companies, um, they're going to use their influence, essentially, to force you into putting your money into green energy stuff or as far as anything that they deem. Um, non-hurting environment or whatever you want to call it, basically into green energy ideas or projects or whatever, they're going to essentially force you um, or you're just going to end up losing your money because they're, they're going to take all this other money and force it away from any of the oil or fossil fuel industry. Um, and then final is going to end up being Da, 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 da. Gun control, because they have to get you unarmed. Especially here in America. You know, there's plenty of other histories of other countries where they've done this. And you really see that their government just realistically does whatever they want to their citizens. I mean, Australia might be a, a grand old place, but when this whole COVID thing happened, uh... Who was more scared, the people of the government or the government of the people? Because as far as what I had seen going on down there, it was the people were afraid of the government. And, you know, being locked up at COVID camps just for being around somebody that tested positive. Oh, well, you got to go there, too. I mean, but you got to look at Australia. Their, their majority of people live on the coastlines because the rest of the country essentially is mostly a desert um and a lot of the places that are out there like gold mines and different things like that that iron ore even uh are mineral sites because it's hotter and crap and just dry and arid there's really just not much life there to begin with and which is crazy because it's an island in general <laughs> but that's how it is but they enacted gun control a long time ago we'd heard this from hillary clinton back when she was running the first time that, you know, we need to look at Australia's gun control laws, which that's all it is, is control. Because anybody that's smart enough to look through their BS understands that it's not the, let's label the NRA a terrorist group because they don't think like us. Because they won't let us enact our draconian laws against the U.S. citizens. But anyways, we'll dig into that a little bit deeper. And um, I guess before I take a break here, I heard a, another kind of quote that a guy had said uh, on a Joe Rogan podcast. I can't remember his name, but he said, humans are very cunning, but not very smart. And I think what he meant by that is, is they're always scheming, you know, to get to get ahead. We're always, you know, in some way or another, we're always scheming to do that. But a lot of these schemers, 
that are cunning aren't very smart because some of the stuff they're trying to be cunning towards ends up making everybody's lives a lot more miserable. <laughs> but anyways, I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, ah, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good quote there. So I figured I'd throw that in here. And then, uh, so once we come back, I will dig into some of these subjects a little bit deeper here. And like I say, I'm trying to explain this out in a fuller context. Uh, if you watch the news, you understand what I'm talking about because you get their version of it in very short clips. Instead of if you heard the whole context, it means totally something different than what that five or ten second little clip their edit, you know, strategic editors have cut down to make say, oh my gosh, that person said what? And then if you go and find the actual full thing of it, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, they totally didn't say what they made it look out to be. So that's what I'm trying not to do here on the Nielsen show is. I want to give you the full picture and then, you know, make your own decision or if if nothing else, make you curious enough to go try and find your own answers to it. Like I say, don't can't just take everything that I, even I'm saying at face value. I mean, I'm, I'm just doing my best to give you the, the facts and make it worth your time to even say and listen to me ramble. (laughs) But anyways, I'm going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back, and we'll dig into this a little deeper. Okay, we're back, and uh, we'll start off with the first one with the Governor Whitmer plot. Uh, and the FBI informants and their involvement with that. So kind of what the the final, well, not really final, but more of the what's kind of up to date with that. Um, here's an article from The Guardian. Two acquitted and a mistrial declared for two others in the Whitmer kidnap plot trial. Two of four men on trial were acquitted on Friday of conspiracy to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, in a plot prosecutor said was motivated by fury at the Democrats' tough COVID-19 restrictions in the early stages of the pandemic. The verdicts regarding Daniel Harris and Brandon Caserta were read in federal court in Grand Rapids, Michigan, U.S. District Judge Robert Jonker presiding. Jurors said they could not agree on verdicts against Adam Fox, who prosecutors described as the ringleader of an anti-government group and Barry Croft Jr. A mistrial was declared, prompting prosecutors to pledge to retry Fox and Croft. Fox, Croft, and Harris faced additional charges. The two most serious, kidnapping conspiracy and conspiracy to use explosives, carry potential life sentences. In a statement, Whitmer's chief of staff, Joanna Holes, said, There must be accountability and consequences for those who commit heinous crimes. Without accountability, extremists will be emboldened. Um, Are they talking about like Black Lives Matter and all those ones that they didn't say a dang thing about? Because they were burning cities down? Or, oh wait, they're on their side and they agree with them. So, yeah, they're not extremists. Defense attorneys portrayed their clients as credulous weekend warriors prone to wild talk and often high on drugs. FBI undercover agents and informants, the attorney said, tricked the man into agreeing to a conspiracy. I remember they was actually more 
FBI agents and informants in this group than there were actual people of the group. <laughs> so, yeah, so I say the FBI has done this plenty of times before to I believe that they've done this again to look to be like the heroes. And like I say, this isn't an indictment on all FBI agents because I know there's just like our police forces. There's a lot of good ones in there and it's the bad ones that make them really look horrible. And this is another example of that. You know, they, they create these terrorists, even though they know that they're setting them up for it. And then they go in and, oh, look, we uh, we stopped this kidnapping plot. You know, these these guys were, you know, they were horrible domestic terrorists and we busted them. Uh, not really telling everybody that they created these people, you know, and push them, push them farther and farther, you know, and give them ideas and set them up essentially. So, uh, let's see, where was I here? Dang it, I forgot it. I got going off too much. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, prior to FBI undercover agents and informants, the attorney said, tricked the man into agreeing to a conspiracy. Prosecutors entered evidence that the man discussed abducting Whitmer before the FBI sting began, scouting her summer home and testing explosives. The jury was asked to figure out if the men were dangerous domestic terrorists or dupes who talked of extreme violence, including hanging leaders for treason. Croft is from Delaware. The others are from Michigan. The decisions were announced a few hours after the jury said it was struggling to find unanimity on all 10 charges. The judge told jurors to keep working on a fifth day of deliberations. Jurors emerged after lunch to say they were still deadlocked on some counts. Harris and Caserta were found not guilty of conspiracy. Harris was acquitted of charges related to explosives and a gun. Fox's attorney, Christopher Gibbons, said the acquittals demonstrated shortcomings in the government's case. We'll be ready for another trial. We'll eventually get what we wanted out of this, which is the truth and the justice I think Adam is entitled to, Gibbons said. Deliberations resumed earlier with a court employee handing over a large plastic bag containing pennies known as Exhibit 291. The pennies were requested before jurors went home on Thursday. Pennies taped to a commercial-grade firework were intended to act like shrapnel, investigators said. Okay, so let me see if I'm understanding this. So they brought in a bag of pennies that's known as Exhibit 291. I'm assuming because they couldn't bring in the this large commercial-grade firework into a courtroom, which would be a stupid idea. Um, but they got to bring in a bag of pennies to show that they were going to use pennies on this, <laughs> you know, trying to use it as a prop, I guess. Uh, that's, that's weird, I guess, but whatever. Uh, according to evidence, the group detonated a homemade explosive during training in September 2020. In his closing argument on the 1st of April, Assistant U.S. Attorney Nils Kessler said Croft wanted to test the explosive as a weapon to use against Whitmer's security team. Prosecutors offered testimony from undercover agents, an informant, and two men who pleaded guilty to the block. Jurors also read and heard secretly recorded conversations, violent social media posts, and chat messages. Whitmer has blamed the plotting on former President Donald Trump for fomenting anger over coronavirus restrictions and refusing to condemn right-wing extremists. In her statement, Holes, Whitmer's chief of staff, said, Today, Michiganders and Americans, especially our children, are living through the normalization of political violence. 
The plot to kidnap and kill a governor may seem like an anomaly, but but we must be honest about what it really is, the result of violent, divisive rhetoric that is all too common across our country. She added, The governor remains focused on her work on behalf of Michigan and all Michiganders. That includes addressing violence and threats to our democracy. Um, okay, sure, whatever. She, I'm sure that's her spin lady. She's got to, you know, turn her story house and they want it to come out. You know, that's what they got to do these days. But they also, I, th- I think if anybody's kind of really paid attention to the bigger picture on what went on with the, the at, well, let's say that just after the 2016 election, that a lot of the big tech, especially started saying, Oh, we can't let this happen again. Essentially. I mean, I'm kind of just paraphrasing there, but then you start to see the changes in how they allow people to communicate through their platforms. You know, and then once it got closer towards the the 2020 elections, uh, suppressing anyone on the right saying anything that was truthful, factful, and then essentially letting anybody on the left say whatever kind of nonsense they wanted to and tried to prove it off as fact. When a lot of it was just a bunch of nonsense. Um, but anyways... I think I don't know what the deal is with Trump exactly, but they've really put a lot of effort into trying to get him out of office when he was in. And now, again, I, I thought I'd read something somewhere that there's another trial that he's being tried to be impeached again, that the Senate and them are pushing forward because, you know, the Democrats, I think, know that they're in trouble come this fall. Uh, I think they're trying to get this imp- new impeachment trial to come through for the January 6th stuff, you know, because they keep twisting it as uh, it was an insurrection. And Donald Trump, you know, he said to go down there and take over the government, which he did not. Uh, but if, you know, you're on the left leftist side of all this the and a useful idiot, you totally buy into all that BS. So. Do we have. A southern border because we got stupid people i mean people in congress also known as a squad member aoc uh here's an article about the uh, she her she, i don't know she did does some stupid social media thing i guess all the time This is America's Freedom Fighters. Watch as squad member AOC freaks out and does this live on her social media. People are seriously questioning her sanity. I've been questioning that since she got into office. (laughs) Uh, Posted by Dino Perrazzo at America's Freedom Fighters. This goes way beyond a surge. This is a national crisis at our southern border that was designed and implemented by the Biden regime. Uh, started before that. It started back in Obama days. And, you know, just the the outright nobody in Congress wanting to do anything as well because they don't want their names tied to any of this stuff because, you know, then they can say this or that when it comes election time. 
But anyways, let's move on here. So, of course, AOC has to put her ludicrous beliefs into it. And seriously, it's tiring to hear the same thing over and over again with no actual intelligent dialogue to help heal our nation and the citizens. Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York, is condemning the use of the term surge when discussing the ongoing border, border, border crisis at the southern border, Fox News reports. They want to say, but what about the surge, Ocasio-Cortez said on Tuesday night during an Instagram live session. Well, first of all, just gut check. Stop. Anyone who's using the term surge around you consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame. And that's a problem because this is not a surge. These are children and they are not insurgents and we are not being invaded, which, by the way, is a white supremacist idea philosophy. The idea that if another is coming in the population, uh, that this is an invasion of who we are, the congresswoman continued. It would be nice if someone would just simply told AOC to shut up, stop turning everything into a white supremacist conspiracy. Anyone else tired of the same broken record playing out of the Democratic camp? This is all out of her own mind. The baffling rhetoric is so blatantly obvious as she attempts to blame white people for the mass influx of illegal aliens at our southern border. Oh, and someone needs to tell her the definition of insurgency. Insurrection against an existing government, usually one's own by a group not recognized as having the status of a belligerent rebellion within a group, as by members against leaders. Then let's address the whole surge babble in which she states, quote, But what about the surge, Ocasio-Cortez said on Tuesday night during an Instagram live session, quote, Well, first of all, just gut check, stop. Anyone who's using the term surge around you consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame. Sigh, okay, let us once again help AOC. Uh, anyone <laughs> anyone else feel like Sesame Street failed her as a child? <laughs> Anyways, surge, a strong, wave-like forward movement, rush or sweep, the onward surge of an angry mob, a strong, swelling, wave-like volume or body of something, a billowing surge of smoke. Um, let's see, and it shows a... Her tweet or whatever I've basically already read. Well, there you have it. Pesky facts by the very definition of the word surge proves the southern border actually is surging with numbers of illegal aliens showing up daily. Also noteworthy that the term surge has zero, nada, nothing to do with military whatsoever. Her comments raised eyebrows on social media. One of her critics, townhall.com senior writer Julio Rosas, who's been reporting from the border defending the surge term quote i've been using the term surge because there's a higher than usual amount of people illegally crossing into the u.s i've seen it with my own eyes on a nightly basis for the past week rosas reacted yes there are kids here often by themselves it's emotionally taxing to see that night after night because god only knows what they've been through Funny how AOC raced down to Texas for the winter storm, but she can't be bothered to come down now to see what's happening. Also being ignored is that our current regime is well aware of these third world nations, citizens, criminals, sexual predators, as well as people who sell or rent their kids out to travel to the border with people so they can gain entry. To use and manipulate the illegal alien children and people to push their, her own agenda of white supremacy and militarized, 
proves she is just another Democrat who does not care about humanity nor the future of our great nation. Our nation's future, the citizens' future, all start with we, the people, coming together, united to heal as well as communicate the actual issues. Once that starts, they will see the common factors that actually plague our nation and is designed to destroy the citizens as well as the foundations of our nations. Uh, yeah, well, you know, if you followed AOC at all, you understand exactly her. I don't even know if, I don't know if it's idiocy or if she's just a useful idiot. Because, I don't know, she seems like a crazy lunatic to me, but, hey, what do I know? I'm not a politician. <laughs> um, let's see. And, yeah, not not only that, just the cartels. They're totally exploiting this. Um, there's a, an older article here from, uh, who is it here? It's uh, Epic Times here. The human trafficking cartels exploit chaos at the southern border, helping young victims. Human tra- trafficking for sex and labor is rampant at the southern border. The chaos of mass illegal immigration is giving cartels the green light to sell people for sex and labor. We hear all about it from former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott. Um, uh, I don't know if this this isn't a full article. It's actually just a uh, it's a video, I guess. They get and they give you video clips of like interviews, so. Uh, sorry, I got started on that one a little too early, I guess. Uh, I guess I'll just read what they got here, though. Then, what's it like to live the horrific reality of trafficking, especially sex trafficking as a child? Survivor Now advocate Andy Burger Burger shares her story with us. She's the founder of Voices Against Trafficking. We also speak with Alma Tucker, who supports trafficking survivors on both sides of the border. She's the founder of International Network of Hearts, based in San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, and then they have a question and answer deal, which is pretty much what that uh, little episode is, a little clip. So with that, I guess uh, um, forget about that article because it's not an article. <laughs> um, so back to... Yeah, and there's other articles too. So you know, Texas showing uh, they try and make it look like Governor Abbott's trying to make it look like he's taking a stand against all this, you know, and shipping people to D.C., which I've heard is more for show than anything. Some of the buses only had like ten or twelve people on them. Um, so I don't know. It's an election year, I guess, for him too. So kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um, let's see. Oh, Title 42. That's another part of our border issues. Um, also from the Epic Times, Border Patrol braces for new surge in illegal immigration as Title 42 ends. Del Rio, Texas, as the Biden administration prepares to drop the Title 42 public health provision on May 23rd, Border Patrol agents and local officials along the border are bracing for an even greater influx of illegal immigrants. Quote, they're preparing for us to start apprehending over 500,000 a month. A Border Patrol agent who spoke on condition of anonymity for fear of repercussions told the Epic Times on April 4th. 
He said agents are expecting to be issued an electronic device into which they can input an illegal alien's data and biographic information while in the field before releasing them. So really what Border Patrol is now becoming is essentially just a greeter. Title 42 is a Center for Disease Control and Prevention order that was invoked in March 2020 under President Donald Trump to minimize the spread of COVID-19 by ensuring that only essential travel occurred at U.S. borders. It directed that illegal immigrants could be quickly expelled back into Mexico as a pandemic precaution, rather than be processed under Title 8 immigration law, which is a much more proactive, oh, protracted process inside the United States. Since, Mar since March of 2020, more than 1.7 million illegal immigrants have been expelled under the Title 42 authority, according to Customs and Border Protection data. During the same period, just over 1.1 million were placed into Title 8 proceedings. Since February 2021, however, Title 42 has slowly been whittled down first to allow in all unaccompanied children, then families with children under the age of seven, then most families in general, most single females, and then single adults from non-Spanish-speaking countries. In February 2021, 73% of illegal immigrants were expelled under Title 42. By February of 2022, it had been reduced to 55%. We're already releasing most illegal aliens, even single males, from anywhere in the world, the Border Patrol agent said. Title 42 was never designed to be central border security or immigration policy, but as the Biden administration removed other border security measures, it became more significant. As a result of the CDC's termination of its Title 42 public health order, we will likely face an increase in encounters above the current high levels, CBP Commissioner Chris Mangus said. In a statement on April 4th, quote, there are a significant number of individuals who were unable to access uh, or access the asylum system for the past two years and who may decide that now is the time to come. In the past six months, one million illegal immigrants from 157 countries have been apprehended at the southern border, according to Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz. During March, Border Patrol agents apprehended on average about 7,000 illegal immigrants per day, according to preliminary CBP numbers obtained by the Epic Times. An additional nearly 67,000 were detected by Border Patrol, but not apprehended. In 2019, when Border Patrol agents were apprehending upward of 4,000 illegal immigrants per day, Obama-era Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson said the country was truly in a crisis. Johnson said at the time that when daily apprehension surged to more than 1,000 people, it overwhelms the system. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about that, where they have to overwhelm the system to get all their ridiculous policies and crap passed through. Because you can't, like say, the, there's so many pieces to this puzzle. You overwhelm the system everywhere, and all the, you know... You, you just like the Border Patrol, they're going to stop so many of them, but you can't be everywhere. It's no different than what the government's doing. You're, you're going to push here, 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 here. And eventually enough of those that you want to get past or through are going to get through. That's the philosophy. And I, I mean, it's been working because there's not enough people in Congress that, you know, have a backbone that'll stand up to the idiocy. Uh, but anyways. There's a pressure to end Title 42. 
The Biden administration has long been under pressure from special interests and advocacy groups to rescind Title 42. In August 2021, several groups sued the administration to get the policy revoked, including the American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, Texas Civil Rights Project, RAICES, Center for Gender and Refugee Studies, and Oxfam. Um, they all sound like a bunch of uh, leftist groups. Even the ACLU anymore is it's not really, it doesn't do what it originally used to do. Um, we took the government to court over Title 42 because the lives of children, entire families, and extremely vulnerable, vulnerable people are on the line, said Carla Marazol Vargas, senior attorney for the Texas Civil Rights Project, in a statement at the time. It's beyond cruel to use an obscure public health rule to turn away families seeking safety without due process and functionally shut down our asylum system. It's illegal. Um, that's exactly the point. It's illegal for them to come here illegally. So I'm I'm not understanding where these people's logic comes from. I mean I I agree we need you know legal immigration. I mean that's been the whole backbone of creating this country in the first place. I mean there, I don't know if the, there's probably really that many people that live here that haven't come from a family that immigrated here one way or another. Unless you're Native American. I mean, essentially, everybody else has come here, if you really want to go down that road, illegally. <laughs> you know, before we had immigration, you know, because especially back when they started creating these policies, uh, you're trying to stop these diseases that come in from other countries. I mean, that's ex essentially what wiped out a vast majority of the Native American tribes was Europeans coming here and bringing our diseases that the immune systems of these Indians haven't seen. And it just literally wiped complete Indian nations off the map from disease. So if, if we don't have an immigration policy where these people can be checked out, which is kind of how it used to start out, you used to kind of learn, you'd come, you'd learn English, uh, you would be able to pass like a civics test to understand what the country was about. And then you could, you know, pass the test. You're checked out for any kind of diseases. And then you're getting your citizen card or green card or whatever they called it back then. And you were an American citizen. But they haven't really done that for a long time. And that's a problem that we're going to, I think we're going to see different diseases that come from these other countries that our immune systems aren't used to, it may or may not be a, a big deal because we do have a lot of other, you know, medicines these days that are good at combating a lot of these, you know, diseases that we know about from these other countries. But still, you're going to unleash it into populations that their immune systems aren't used to it. But anyways... We'll move on from that. So you kind of get kind of get it from that article. Like I say, some of these articles are really long. They take quite a while to dig through. This one's well, yeah, it's pretty long. It still goes on for quite a ways. Uh, good information, though, as far as if you want to read a lot of these stories, go to the Epic Times. Uh, you can get a digital subscription to it for like seven bucks a month. I think is what I pay. 
and you basically get all their uh, stuff right on your phone if you really want to download the app or you can just down uh, get on your account on your through your computer or whatever and then read it with a little bit bigger letters than off your phone <laughs> Uh, so let's see, where are we at now? So border stuff, you know, I, I don't know why that's been such a big fight. Well, I know why, because, and like a lot of people think they're like, well, if we're the ones that are supporting, say we're the Democrats, we're supporting these people coming here illegally. Um, and we're going to help them. I don't know, find a place to stay, give the money, whatever, get these support groups to them. And then come election time, we're going to try and figure out a way to get them to vote for us, which unfortunately happens in certain states, especially where they try and keep the voting laws lax. I mean, New York has already uh, decided that they're going to let illegals vote in their elections. So that kind of defeats the purpose of us being a sovereign nation. We don't have rules and we don't have laws. We have open borders. Um, it's it's a recipe to collapse the country, essentially. If, if you ask me, that's my opinion. I, I can't prove that until it happens. But uh, let's see, coming up on the close to end of our thing here, so... I'm going to take a break so we can start a new segment and we'll work our way into controlling big tech and the media. We'll kind of do a little quick little thing on that. So we'll be right back with that. Okay, we are back here again with this segment. Uh, we're going to dive into the uh, big tech in the media, and I've talked about this numerous other times, but <clears throat> if you're looking at it in a bigger context of this picture, um, and just the how they're trying to keep Donald Trump out of politics in general, I think, but especially out of the White House. Now, I don't know exactly what their whole problem was with him being in there other than he was not going to go along with all this stuff. That's the only thing, that's the only logical reason I could see why everything kind of played out the way it did. Um, we have, <clears throat> so with big tech, everybody started seeing the, you know, the censorship, I guess. Um, here's an article from Breitbart. Brett Bart, whatever the heck that name is. Um, five of Big Tech's most serious acts of censorship. And I think this is from last year, but still kind of goes to the point. Over the past year, Big Tech has greatly increased the rate of censorship online. Brett Bart News has reported on these efforts extensively. Here are five of the most serious acts of censorship by the Silicon Valley Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe have made a number of attempts to take further control of speech on the Internet, whether that means blacklisting public figures that they dislike or cracking down on the types of content considered acceptable to discuss online. 
tech giants have worked hard to further limit discussion, open discussion online. Here are five examples of recent censorship attempts by the self-appointed Silicon Valley masters of the universe. Number one, all major social media platform blacklist former President Trump. In January 2021, following riots at Capitol Hill, a number of social media firms took action against then-President Trump, alleging that his rhetoric contributed to the Capitol Hill events. In response, Facebook permanently suspended President Trump, as did Twitter. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg stated at the time, The shocking events of the last 24 hours clearly demonstrate that President Donald Trump intends to use his remaining time in office to undermine the peaceful and lawful transition of power to his elected successor, Joe Biden. Now, I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg uh, watched anything more than just CNN and come to that determination, but if you had watched the whole speech, um, it doesn't paint that picture. But you know how lefties think they, you know, they take those little five second clips, you know, that are selectively edited to make it look like somebody said something they did not. Um, so, you know, they did what they did, I guess. Um, let's see, his decision to use his platform to condone rather than condemn the actions of his supporters at the Capitol building with, has rightly disturbed people in the U.S. and around the world. We removed these statements yesterday because we judged that their effect and likely their intent would be to provoke further violence. Following the certification of the election results by Congress, the priority for the whole country must now be to ensure that the remaining 13 days and the days after inauguration pass peacefully and in accordance with established democratic norms. Over the last several years, we have allowed President Trump to use our platform consistent with our own rules, at times removing content or labeling his posts when they violate our policies. We did this because we believe that the public has a right to the broadest possible access to political speech, even controversial speech. Well, obviously not. But the current context is now fundamentally different, involved involving use of our platform to incite violent insurrection against a democratically elected government. We believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. Therefore, we are extending the block we have placed on his Facebook and Instagram accounts indefinitely and for at least the next two weeks until the peaceful transition of power is complete. Twitter similarly banned Trump, stating, After close review of recent tweets from the real Donald Trump account, in the context around them, we have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Uh, Let's see, down here, get through their tweet. Politicians and commentators from across the political spectrum, including former Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard, liberal journalist Glenn Greenwald, and countless conservative lawmakers warned that this is a threat to freedom of speech and democracy. It was reported a few days after Trump's ban that German Chancellor Angela Merkel was also worried by the suspension of Trump from the platform, stating that the bannings were problematic and she did not believe that social media management should be able to interfere with the right of freedom of expression. Facebook has since referred its decision to ban Trump to the Facebook Oversight Board, which has the ability to overrule Facebook's decision. The board operates independently from Facebook, but every member of it receives a salary from Facebook. (laughs) Ah, That's almost, well, that is laughable. 
they're independent, but they receive their paycheck from Facebook. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, the board recently voted to temporarily uphold the ban of former President Trump's accounts on the platform. Imagine that. The board has reportedly reportedly told Facebook that it has six months to announce an end to the date of the former president's suspension or permanently delete his pages. The board stated that Facebook cannot make up the rules as it goes along by banning some users for a set amount of time and others indefinitely. Uh, number two, Facebook, Twitter, heavily suppressed New York Post's Hunter Biden bombshell. <clears throat> In October of last year, Facebook and Twitter simultaneously worked to suppress a bombshell news article from the New York Post that indicated, contrary to his previous denials, that Joe Biden met with an advisor to the board of Burisma while he was vice president, arranged by his son, Hunter, who was then working as a lobbyist for the company. Facebook massively reduced the distribution of the article on its platform. Shortly afterward, Twitter marked links to the story as unsafe and eventually locked the official New York Post Twitter account, Breitbart News reported at the time. The story made the front page of the Post, which also reveals that the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee is investigating emails provided to it by a whistleblower allegedly between Hunter Biden and executives at Burisma. His father has previously said, I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Yeah, we all know Joe Biden's a liar. <clears throat> but according to emails obtained by the Post, Hunter introduced his father to a Burisma executive less than a year before the then-vice president pressured the Ukrainian government into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company. Facebook spokesman and former Democrat staffer Andy Stone announced the decision on Twitter and also practically invited Facebook's supposedly neutral fact-checkers to challenge the story. Significantly, the social network took the rare step of acting in advance of a decision by its third-party fact-checkers, which are also paid for by Facebook, <laughs> on which it usually relies on to defer responsibility for censoring news publishers. That move is practically unprecedented, arguably protecting the former vice president from a major political scandal at a critical time in the 2020 election. <clears throat> While I will intentionally not link to the New York Post, I want to be clear that this story is eligible to be fact-checked by Facebook's third-party fact-checking partners said Stone. In the meantime, we are reducing its distribution on our platform. Um, and if you don't think this had anything to do with how the elections turned out, I think there was a good like 15 or 16 percent of people that were polled on whether or not they knew about the laptop or not said they would probably changed. It would have changed how they voted. Um, that's a pretty significant amount of people, um, you know, Assuming that there was 16% across the board, because um, I don't know what the the number and the sample sizes were. But regardless, if most people didn't know about the laptop or because they were saying that this laptop was Russian disinformation, which is their, their go-to, you know, blame everything on Russia. <laughs> uh, anyways. On October 30th, 2020, Breitbart News reported that the New York Post's official Twitter account had been unlocked. Twitter explained its reasoning in a series of tweets, writing, Our policies are living documents. We're willing to update and adjust them when we encounter new scenario scenarios 
or receive important feedback from the public. One such example is a recent change to our hacked materials policy and its impact on accounts like the New York Post. Uh, yeah, because they were trying to say that the New York Post was hacked and, you know, and they made up a bunch of crap. Um, so their second tweet was, In response, we're updating our practice of not retroactively overturning prior enforcement. Decisions were made under policies that are subsequently changed and published can now be appealed if the account at issue is a driver of that change. We believe this is fair and appropriate. Okay, well, whatever, I guess. This means that because a specific New York Post enforcement led us to update the hacked materials policy, we will no longer restrict their account under the terms of the previous policy, and they can now tweet again. Uh, and that was like weeks later after it didn't matter anymore. <laughs> Number three, Google suppresses Breitbart News and searches on topics like Biden. In July, Breitbart News published data, data that showed that Breitbart's Google search visibility is down 99% compared to the same period in 2016. This was later confirmed by data published by Real Clear Politics and showed the same censorship was affecting other conservative news websites. It appeared that Google is not returning Breitbart News links in searches even when users search for the exact string of words in an original Breitbart headline. When links to Breitbart stories do appear, it is often well obscure, oh, often below obscure websites plagiarizing Breitbart's, Breitbart's content. Breitbart News reported at the time. In a new video, Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief Alex Marlowe reveals in additional depth, detail the depth of Google's suppression of Breitbart's reporting. Quote, Breitbart News is, according to Amazon-owned Alexa.com, one of the top five news publishers in the United States. Yet if you search verbatim Breitbart headlines in Google, you won't necessarily get any Breitbart results at all, Marlowe said. The video goes on to demonstrate Google's suppression of Breitbart News. In one example, the viral Breitbart News story, maskless Nancy Pelosi goes to San Francisco hair salon despite coronavirus restrictions fails to return any links to the site on Google. Instead, Google displays a list of obscure websites, some of which have plagiarized Breitbart's article, posting the article and headline in full. Google only displays one link that might lead users to Breitbart's story, a link to a post about the article on the Donald.win, an independent online forum set up by exiles from r the underscore Donald, the Reddit hub of Trump supporters that was blacklisted by the left's administrators of Reddit earlier this year. The same experiment was repeated with various other headlines, which again yield links to obscure websites plagiarizing the articles. In November, Breitbart News published a report providing further information on the suppression of the website by Google. Breitbart noted that the clicks and impressions to Breitbart News from Google searches for Joe Biden were still at zero where they had remained for seven months at the time. Breitbart News reported, as the following chart shows, and it goes on through a chart here, but clicks and impressions to Breitbart News from Joe Biden Google searches displayed a healthy pattern of activity until the middle of 2020 when they suddenly flatlined. As Breitbart News reported several months ago, the plunge first occurred after a major update to Google's search algorithm in May 2020. Uh, that's another funny thing they do. So they uh, use that as 
plausible deniability saying, oh, it's the algorithm. Well, if you look at who creates the algorithm, it's people. So if these people are creating an algorithm that suppresses your website or whatever, um, is it really the algorithm? Or was it the people that created the algorithm? Hmm. Despite the fact that Breitbart News reported it, Google has neither fixed the issue nor commented on it. Searches for Hunter Biden show off a similar pattern with far more clicks and impressions before Google's May update. Even though the vast majority of public attention on scandals related to the former VP son came relatively recent. And I think this is last year's article. That's probably kind of, yeah, it's from July. Well, I don't know if it's from July, but it's from last year. Actually, maybe. No, it was from 2020. So this is an older article. This is from 2020. So this is just an ongoing thing of big tech, though, in the first place. Uh, let's see. Number four, YouTube forces political videos it doesn't like into private mo- mode. Now we got to remember who owns YouTube. Google. <laughs> so there's really no surprise here why this stuff goes all the way across the board. Uh, Breitbart News reported in April 2021 that the Google-owned video hosting platform YouTube has been forcing politically dissident videos into private mode, limiting the viewership of the video only to the video's uploader and preventing them from being seen by the public. Nothing nefarious going on here. YouTube informed Republican candidate Laura Loomer that it had locked her content in this manner, telling her that only she would be able to see a video she uploaded titled, Why Does the Left Blame White People for Everything? Loomer, who ran for Congress in Donald Trump's home district of Florida 21 in 2020 and plans to do so again in 2022, was informed of the change to the video status via an email from YouTube, despite the video being publicly visible on her YouTube channel for three years. The video they cited is three years old, said Loomer in a post on Gab. More political censorship and discrimination from big tech. And then it shows a screenshot of their explanation. Um, so YouTube informed Loomer, content locked as private won't appear on your channel or in search results, and it won't be visible to other users. YouTube alleged that Loomer's video violated its violent or graphic content policy with the video. (laughs) Oh, boy. Number five, fact checkers work to push the leftist worldview. And let's see. I'm checking my time here. Okay, I'm at 16 minutes, so we still got uh, a little bit of time here. Over the course of the past year, Breitbart News has reported extensively on attempts by leftist fact-checker groups to rewrite events and influence the modern news narrative, such as Twitter's head of site integrity outright accused members of the Trump administration of being Nazis, and Facebook restricting the reach of PragerU's page for the repeated sharing of false false news, which is false in itself. (laughs) Breitbart News reported in May that PolitiFact, a political fact-checking group, was eight times as likely to defend President Biden than fact-check him, Breitbart News reported. Uh, and that's, a, that's the dirty trick they do. Because the, most of these, you know, whatever they want to call themselves, fact-checkers, but they're, yeah, they're basically leftists. And they, they don't fact-check lefties. And they claim to fact-check uh, the righties. 
But like, say, the dirty trick is they use some stupid, obscure article from somewhere to give them the rating of false or mostly false or whatever their stupid rating was. Because if you actually click on what their link was and it takes you to some stupid article that claims this or claims that with no nothing to back it up other than just them claiming it. And it's really a dirty trick. And that's one of the main reasons uh, I don't have Twitter and now don't have Facebook because I started figuring out the game. Um, let's see what we're at here. Uh, A a media research center study found that four years ago, PolitiFact gave 52 fact checks, including a truthometer ruling of former President Donald Trump his first 100 days, while in the same time period in 2021, it offered 13 fact checks of President Joe Biden, Newsbusters reported Tuesday. Quote, on its website, PolitiFact splits its Biden verdicts into facts checks of Biden and fact checks about Biden. Our review of the first 100 days shows 13 fact checks of Biden and 106 fact checks about Biden. That's an 8 to 1 disparity, the outlet stated. Newsbusters also suggested PolitiFact is more sensitive when it came to people allegedly telling falsehoods about Biden than it is about him lying. Many of the fact checks about Biden are about Facebook posts, viral images, or tweets. Those rulings often translate into content warnings, but there were two pants-on-fire rulings for House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and one each for Fox News and for Tucker Carlson. Liz Cheney got the flaming pants for insisting that less than 6% of Biden's infrastructure package is about infrastructure. Perhaps the surprising measurement here is that the percentage of PolitiFact truthometer rating of Biden and Trump were the same, 61.5%. Trump just had four times as many evaluations. 32 of 52 Trump evaluations were defined as mostly false, false, or pants on fire. Eight of 13 Biden evaluations landed on the false side. Biden had zero pants on fire ratings in the first 100 days. In 2017, Trump had two. In April, the Washington Post announced that it would no longer be updating its presidential fact-checking database after just 100 days into the Biden presidency, Breitbart News reported. Uh, Quote, Glenn Kessler, editor-in-chief wrote of the fact-checker, tweeted late Monday that the team would continue to fact-check President Biden rigorously, but would no longer maintain the database started under former... President Trump, the Washington Times reported Tuesday. Uh, Kessler shared a link to the database, writing, Here's the Biden database, which we do not plan to extend beyond 100 days. I have learned my lesson. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Let's see. What else we got here? Kessler explained, Learned my lesson means that who knows what the next four years will bring. We have fact-checked Biden rigorously and will continue to do so. Trump at 500 claims. 100 days was manageable. 8,000 plus was not. Uh, Whatever that means. He also urged readers to let him know if his team missed something during the first 100 days, adding, what we produced is more comprehensive than anything else out there. In November, PolitiFact was forced to issue a correction after conservative commentator Candace Owens challenged the false rating attached to a video she posted about Biden. PolitiFact said in a statement, Correction, 
PolitiFact originally labeled this video false in our capacity as a third-party fact-checker for Facebook. On November 20th, an appeal to that decision was made on behalf of Ms. Owens. PolitiFact approved the appeal on November 20th, determined that a correction was appropriate, and removed the false rating. Owens said in her video that was falsely fact-checked by PolitiFact, Anybody who understands politics who passed a basic level of civics knows that right now. In this moment, Joe Biden is literally and legally not the president-elect. This information cannot be fact-checked because that is the truth. So they cannot take that off. They cannot censor that. It is a fact. Breitbart News reported at the time. In August, Owens announced that she would be suing Facebook over its blatant censorship after the social media platform demonetized her page following her comments about Senator Kamala Harris swearing into Congress in 2017 as an Indian American. Well, that is actually true. She is an Indian from India. And, you know, everybody wants to keep calling her the first black person. She's not even black. Or what does black even mean? Uh, Is that anybody with brown skin? Because black to me would be like African-American or anything from like African descent for the most part. Uh, Hispanics are more brown. They're not black. People from India typically are not black. They're fairly lighter skinned. And that is what she is. She's an Indian American, not Native American, but Indian from India American. Uh, Anyways. I am so excited that we get to watch Kamala Harris, who swore into Congress as an Indian American, now play the I'm a black woman card all the way until November. Owens had quipped on social media, fun times. At the time, Owens told Breitbart News that big tech censorship issue is real and we haven't done enough to fight it as conservatives. All they, uh, fact checkers, have to do is find one opposite opinion, and they can give you a false rating, Owens explained. You have to send a legal letter every time you get it to get it reversed. These are just some examples of recent attempts by big tech to silence conservative voices, shift the mainstream narratives, and crack down on dissenting opinions online. Breitbart News will continue to report on these issues and keep our readers informed of all online censorship. So there you go. Uh, And just kind of as uh, the media stuff here. Here's a uh, Washington Examiner. This is just a really quick article, but it's more recent. February 11th of 2022. We asked college students in Washington, D.C. who they would rather watch, Joe Rogan or cable news. We found most students did not know who major cable news hosts were, including Brian Stelter, Rachel Maddow, and Don Lemon. Almost everyone at least knew who Joe Rogan was and had seen his show. For some time, CNN's ratings have been plummeting to all-time lows. A recent Rasmussen Report survey revealed that 8% of those surveyed said they watch CNN every day. Meanwhile, Rogan's show blows all cable news ratings out of the water, tripling the viewers of runner-up Tucker Carlson tonight, according to the numbers from Q3 of 2021. And then Jordan Peterson has a tweet that says that's because he doesn't lie or talk down to his audience or manipulate for his own narrow advantage. Go at Joe Rogan. See you there in three weeks in Austin. That's pretty much that article, but that's true. And 
you know, I think that's what Joe Rogan's most, most his appeal is because he's bringing on people. You know, he even says it all the time. I'm not a doctor. I mean, it, I don't even know why he even has to explain all this stuff because if you're a sane person, you know, he's not a doctor <laughs> and would not think that he's a doctor. He, you know, makes comments based on stuff that he knows either firsthand experience or from people that he knows firsthand. Um, you know, it's not just a bunch of made up crap, you know, and it, he's got his little guy there, Jamie, to fact check him on stuff, you know, or look stuff up for him. Cause you know, I mean, he's, he's had a lot of people on his show. I can totally see where he can get some information. I mean, and I even do this myself cause I've read so many different articles that I get stuff mixed up, uh, and kind of think something's true, but it's like, Oh, wait a second. So I usually try and typically get everything right in front of me where I can just open that article up and say, okay, this is what it said. And I'll read it to you where he's got guests on and he's interviewing them and asking them legit straightforward, you know, questions. Now you couldn't get uh, a typical, I think politician on his show because they're basically going to lie and they're not going to like his layout of him just being able to ask them legitimate questions <laughs> they like to know what the questions are all going to be before they even get in there so they have their made-up answers to all the questions uh that's typically what they do with the news media anyways so anyways coming up on our uh, end of this segment here so we'll just stop it now and uh yeah we'll come back with one other thing here on that hunter biden laptop and the suppression of that uh, here in just a moment. So as we uh, know, or hopefully you know, that there was, before the election of the 2020 election, there was a guy that came out, said he had Hunter Biden's laptop, then he would not come and claim it. And he was a repair guy somewhere back that way, back east somewhere, uh, that he'd left this laptop with him. And there was a story at the New York Post about Hunter Biden's laptop. And then in work-like fashion, all the media come out and said, no, it's false. You know, Twitter banned anybody from reposting it, locked New York Post's account. Uh, then, you know, you got Mark Zuckerberg and his minions over there at Facebook. They did the same thing. Uh, if you retweeted it or not retweeted it, but basically shared it, um, it typically got blocked or was just ghosted like nobody else would see it, even though it showed that you had shared it. Yeah, you would get no likes or anything else like that on it because no one else could see it. So here we go with a now that Joe Biden's president, the Times has finally admits that Hunter's laptop is real. What? This whole time it was not Russian propaganda? And was not disinformation? I think it's been long enough now that they, they're going to try, I think, what it looks like is to just pin all of this stuff onto Hunter. And I really doubt anything's going to happen to the, the poor guy. I mean, he's a drug addict. I mean, realistically, if we had uh, 
higher ups in the DOJ and stuff that actually gave a crap. But, you know, they're appointed by the president, so they're not going to direct their people into uh, investigating this. So I really don't think there's going to be a whole lot coming out of this. But here's the story, and this was from March 17th of this year. Uh, I'll just forget the... I'll, uh, <laughs> well, I'll try and paraphrase this the best I can. Forgive the profanity, but you have got to be essing us. <laughs> That's word. First, the New York Times decides more than a year later that Hunter Biden's business woes are worthy of a story. Then deep in the piece, in passing, it notes that Hunter's laptop is legitimate. Quote, People's, people familiar with the investigation said prosecutors had examined emails between Mr. Biden, Mr. Archer, and others about Burisma and other foreign business activity, the Times writes. Those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The email and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. Authenticated? You don't say. You mean when a newspaper actually does reporting on a topic and doesn't just try to whitewash coverage for Joe Biden, it discovers it's actually true. But wait, it doesn't end there. In October 2020, the Times cast doubt that there was a meeting between Joe Biden and an official from Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company for which Hunter was a board member. A Biden campaign spokesman said Mr. Biden's official schedules did not show a meeting between the two men, the Times wrote, acting as a perfect stenographer. Yet, in the latest report published Wednesday night, the Times said the meeting likely did happen. Biden had attended the dinner in question. Funny how this works when you don't just take someone's word for it. In the heat of the presidential race of 2020, the Times never missed a chance to cast doubt on the laptop, saying the information was purported and quoting a letter from former Democratic officials who claimed, with no evidence, that it was Russian disinformation. As recently as September 2021, the Times called the laptop unsubstantiated in a news story. Why was it unsubstantiated? Because of willful ignorance and the Times' curious lack of curiosity. Hunter's business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, came forward immediately after the Post reports and confirmed that the emails bearing his name were legitimate. The Bidens didn't even deny it was true. They just deflected, with the media's help saying it was a dirty trick or not a story. Mostly, the press just ignored it. And there has been other uh, anchors, I guess you could say, that were asked at some uh, college forum set up, you know, and someone was, I don't remember who the anchor was, but a college student specifically asked a question to this lady about why they didn't report on this stuff. And we know now that it wasn't Russian disinformation and blah, blah, blah. And she basically said, well, it just wasn't interesting. <laughs> it just wasn't interesting. Like, they just didn't care because it would make, you know, Biden look bad. And he probably more than likely would have lost that election by a lot. Even, even with the amount of people that hated Biden. Or, I mean, hated Trump. Uh, and also... 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish reading this article before I get too far off track because there are groups that have been looking into the election and the claims about the fraud and have actually been finding that the ballot harvesting things uh, and kind of how that works. Well, anyways, I'll get into that here in a second. Uh, no, 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 no. Where was I at now? <laughs> okay, B- Tony Bobolinsky came forward immediately after the Post reports and confirmed that emails bearing his name were legitimate. Uh, dirty trick, mostly the press just ignored it. Okay, here we go. Now we're 16 months away from the 2020 election. Joe Biden's safely in the White House, and the Times finally decides to report on the news rather than carry the Biden campaign's water. And they find that, hey, Hunter Biden's business interests benefited from Joe Biden's political status as a suspicious degree. Uh, Perhaps this is a topic worthy of examination. How did the Times authenticate the laptop? It doesn't say. Unlike the Post reporting, which detailed exactly how we got the files and where they came from, the Times does a hand wave to anonymous sources. No facts have changed since fall of 2020. They knew the laptop was real from the start. They just didn't want to say so. There's never any shame with these 180s. Sorry that we wrote a fact check that turned out to be bull. Sorry we wrote a piece claiming something wasn't a story and you were stupid for thinking so. (laughs) Twitter banned us for supposedly publishing hacked materials that weren't hacked. The company's CEO apologized, but by that point, they had accomplished what they wanted. Like the Times, they cast enough doubt to avoid making their preferred candidate look bad. Readers of the Times have discovered in March 2022 that Hunter Biden pursued business deals in Europe and Asia and may have leveraged his father's position as vice president to do it. Hunter also may not have properly registered with the government or declared all his income. All legitimate topics of discussion about a presidential candidate's family, no. Readers of the Post have known this since October 2020. We also have a much better sports section. We've authenticated it. (laughs) Uh, And then it's going through a bunch of different pictures on here. I'm guessing some of these are off of his laptop because they're Hunter Biden which I don't know why he's taking pictures of himself in the first place, other than, like, say, he's got a drug problem. Uh, Yeah, here's a picture of him. And maybe some other people were taking these pictures of him that he's been with that, like I said, I don't know why he had them on his laptop. I don't know what his logic into that stuff was. But here's a picture of him with a crack pipe dangles from Hunter Biden's mouth in this image from the infamous laptop. Uh, another one of him in a tub. With a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Also on the laptop. Oh, it was a Delaware repair shop. The Mac shop is where it was left. Um, Hunter Biden is seen at Joe Biden's presidential inauguration alongside Jill Biden, Ashley Biden, and Kamala Harris. And Kamala Harris is the only idiot standing there with a mask over her face. <laughs> Uh, anyways, that's kind of the, what the story was about that now. So, big tech and the media can have major influences, but they were the ones all saying that they didn't want anybody influencing the elections. 
Well, I think they understood from the 2016 elections that the social media platforms could carry a lot of weight. And people could get their messages open openly out to other like-minded people. So they figured it out that, well, if we just suppress these and, you know, highlight our narratives, more people will see those. So when that happens, people start swaying the other way. And the people that have done studies on this say it's not really the left or the right that's going to be swayed one way or the other. It's the independents and people in the middle that, you know, like I've said, like good ideas and will go one way or the other, depending on whose ideas are better. But if, you know, you're not seeing one side or you're only seeing bad things about one candidate or the other, how is that going to sway your uh, your vote? You know what I'm saying? So it's like they claim they don't want people doing it, but as long as they're doing it, it's okay. <laughs> That's essentially what happened, I think, in the 2020 election, especially with this the big tech and media. I mean... If you if you didn't see the bias, uh, I can't help you because it was pretty much everywhere. Um, let's see where are we at here? <clears throat> Control big tech, the media check. We're off of that one. Uh, we kind of already gone over the infiltrate the world governments and uh, world economic forums. The Klaus Schwab his take on that. Uh, so we'll skip past that one. Um. We've seen the the draconian laws. Um, let's see. Policies. We'll skip through that one. More and more of that just keeps all fighting. Like I said, it's the king. He's got to keep everybody fighting so they're not looking at him while he's doing whatever he wants to do, I guess, and get it pushed through without you having to say so. Uh, we've seen the infiltrating the schools part of that. We've seen the whole don't say gay bill crap in Florida. So we'll just kind of touch on that. So what the philosophy here is, get your kids at a young age confused about their gender. And then when they go home asking questions about it, and then, uh, parents trying to explain what they had been told or taught or whatever at school that that's how they try and i mean if you've looked at any of the stuff from black lives matters website and i don't remember that lady's name but she claims to be one of the uh, founders of black lives matter you know that now has been caught spending millions of dollars on homes and not giving it to supporters that were promised money to go and protest and do everything they did. And she's the one that actually openly says she's a trained Marxist. Now, that probably don't make a whole lot of sense unless you understand what a Marxist is. And their ideology, I guess you could say, of um, they feel like it's their right to have that money. Because, you know, they were organizing this stuff. You know, they feel like they're the CEO of this Marxist ideology. <laughs> so they can get all these useful idiots to do their dirty deeds for them. And then they just walk away scathed, unscathed. 
while other people will go to jail for them. Uh, you know, it's no different than like what the KKK and these neo-Nazis and stuff like that do. They they openly prey on people that are easily susceptible to those those kind of ideas. And it's not right either side of the aisle you want to look at. It. So essentially what she did was she was manipulating people to do her dirty work, using social media and whatever, you know, under... It's no different than like our politicians. They use these fancy headlines to put on these bills, you know, like the For the People Act. That was that uh, basically a hostile takeover by the federal government law, which... I think for the, as far as I understood anyways, got voted down. Um, but it was basically to let the federal government take over voting. The making them make the rules and regulations and all that stuff instead of the states, like the constitution states is how it's supposed to happen. But anyways, they're got, like the, the Florida bill, you know, as soon as it came out, you know, that uh, DeSantis said, hey, look, we're going to get a bill coming across and we're going to pass it that says you cannot talk sexual stuff basically to kids up through third grade or something like that, kindergarten through third grade or whatever it was, which essentially it should be all the way up through at least fifth grade. It's usually sixth grade. You get the maturation programs, you know, because Going into seventh grade, they're usually at an age where puberty starts hitting and they need to understand some of this stuff. But the leftists in uh, quick fashion said it's the don't say gay bill. And I think I went over this last time that if you went and looked up the bill, it does not say gay in it one time. So maybe that's what they mean, that it doesn't say gay in there. So it's the don't say gay bill. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what they were thinking to come up with that. You know, it's this the the attack dogs of the left, and that's what they do. Um, and then they get the useful idiots to follow along and repeat what their garbage is. But it also is the same thing that you you can't talk straight sexual talk to them either, because anybody that knows anything about kids is they don't understand that stuff. And they won't, I mean, you barely understand it once they hit puberty and kind of grasp it a little more because they've developed, you know, mentally developed enough that they can start grasping that stuff. But it's basically a bill that teachers can't say, uh, you know, you, you can pick your gender or you're not a boy or you're not, you know, they, they're just not supposed to bring that stuff up because it's not right. And a lot of parents have agreed with that. And it doesn't matter if you're straight or gay or non-binary or whatever the hell you want to call yourself. That that is to be not taught in any of the schools. Up to third grade. And then, you know, you had these teachers freaking out. About, I can't talk about my partner. And it's like, well, the kids don't give a crap about your partner in the first place. Teach them the crap they need to know. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. They don't need to know that you, whatever, whatever it is, they don't need to know that. I don't, I don't care if that makes you feel sad that 
you can't exploit your sexual preferences to them. They don't care. They don't need to know it. They don't need to be confused by it. But anyways, I think what I was getting at here was that, you know, they're trying to to get your kids indoctrinated to fight against what most parents would be trying to, you know, teach their kids. Uh, and you get them to hate the parents and then you get control of their minds. And then when you've got them all confused, you can start feeding them full of your, basically your propaganda. And then you get them be, to become activists. And that's the, the dirty trick they're starting to figure out in schools um, with all with all the, the stuff they're trying to... Uh, they want secretly to be able to talk about it. But they won't they won't let anybody talk about, you know, uh, conservative type ideas and free markets and different things like that. You can't talk about that. They'll they'll vehemently defend, you know, other teachers not being able to say that to kids. But anything they want to, as far as their leftist Marxist ideologies, and then that's just fine because it's their agenda. And that's what parents are finally starting to wake up and seeing at their schools and getting upset enough about it to get out and, you know, get rallies going to push back against it, which is exactly what we need to do. It's a it's a fight for our children and their mental health as well. Uh, but if you break up the nuclear family and see the the Democrats, I think, have kind of figured this out a long time ago that, you know. Once slavery was abolished, um, let's flip the script and make it look like it's the Republicans now that are the white supremacist slave owners, what yada yada. But in the meantime, we are going to enact policies which essentially don't enslave people physically, but mentally enslaves them. And there's that that's the reason why I think they see such a high uh, output of Democrat voting within the black communities is because they've mentally got them enslaved to thinking that if, you know, the Republicans are these evil slave owners, um, which they weren't because they don't want to teach them any history about where their freedoms came from in the first place. It wasn't from the Democrat Party. Um, but yeah, they've, they've made it. So if you're, let's say you're, you're in the black community and you're single and they've, they've got these laws that they've passed that essentially, as long as you're not married, uh, or even in some instances don't even have a man living in the house with you, you get X amount of dollars. So it essentially, they've made it so it's a numbers game for single moms, especially, to have an incentive, money-wise, not to be married and not have a boyfriend living at home or whatever the, the deal is, um, that it mentally enslaves them to the to the Democrat Party and the dollar. Instead of trying to 
get them to understand that, Hey, look, you know what? These kids turn out better when they actually have, you know, a man in the house that can, uh, teach them how the world works. But that, that goes for a, for a mom and a dad. It's been statistically studied for quite a while that kids do better later on in life that have both had a mom and a dad. But if you've got policies surrounding your, uh, I don't know what you really call it, your demographical area that are incentivizing you to not have a nuclear family, then you you've got to understand where what the problem looks like at that point. But anyways, we'll get past that one now. We'll cross that one off. We talked a little bit last time about the invasion of Ukraine. Um, there's, you know, like I said, there's a lot of wheat and grains and different things like that that the world. Especially the U.S., since we are an import nation, not an export nation, that with the fertilizer shortages that we're going to have, um, especially Ukrainian farmers being worried about getting hit with a a rogue, you know, missile or bomb or whatever, you know, while they're out trying to tend to their fields, uh, they're not planning as much or not planning at all while this whole thing's going on, and then it's going to cause skyrocketing food prices which here in america is also going to be tied with the inflation but all these major you know you're talking about acreage and how much acreage can feed x amount of population in the world or wherever this stuff's going uh you take big chunks of that out and it affects more and more people so we got an article here from the Epic Times. Uh, well, let's see. We're going to take a quick break before I get started on this section because I'm running out of time once again. Uh, so, anyways, be right back here. Stay tuned. Okay, let's get right back into it here. So from the Epic Times, why food prices are expected to sky- skyrocket. Um, let's see. So it starts out food shortages and skyrocketing food prices now appear inevitable. The global food price index hit its highest recorded level in March of 2022, rising 12.6% in a single month. On average, food prices were one third higher than in March of 2021. In the U.S., food prices rose 9% in 2021 and are predicted to rise another four and a half to 5% in the next 12 months. Oh, excuse me. Um, So what basically what anybody on mostly people on the conservative side have been saying that don't go out and just hoard food. But if you can afford to buy one extra of this or that, that's a storable item. You don't want to get perishable foods that you can, you know, will go bad on the shelf pretty quick. You want to find items that, you know, rice, grain, uh, stuff that'll last a little bit longer to put away somewhere. If you've got some place like a food storage area to put stuff away, just put a few things away. You know, it might might get you past. You know, maybe last you a month. So just in case you lose your job, something something happens unexpectedly uh, that you have at least food that you can provide for yourself or your family. 
for a while until you get stuff figured out. Because if if not, how long are you going to last without food? But if this comes down to what it's going to be, um, and you can't afford these higher food prices, you've bought some of this stuff at a lower price, so it's not soaking it out of you later on. Anyways, story goes on. Um, food shortages and skyrocketing food prices. Now, that's what I just read. It's just repeating it. All right. Sorry, I'm going to skip that part. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Inflation was already ramping up well before Russia went into Ukraine, thanks to the uncontrolled pr- printing of fiat currencies that occurred in response to the COVID pandemic. Government's COVID, COVID responses have also wreaked havoc with global supply chains, causing disruptions that continue to this day. So that's also, you know, with all these other countries, especially like China, where we get a lot of our crap from, doing their still to this day lockdowns uh, because of different strains of the COVID virus, which I think is just kind of a major uh, crackdown on its people. You know, they're hitting into Shanghai and all these other uh, major cities. But if people aren't going to work in those countries, goods and services aren't going to be provided outside of their country to, you know, other countries that relied on their stuff. Like us. <laughs> um, so anyways, there's more and more of that because that stuff's just backlogging at this point. You know, where their factories aren't producing stuff. Uh, so what we were importing from them, those supplies are going to drain out, I think, fairly quickly. So I don't, like I say, I don't know. I mean, there's some things that can be done to mitigate a lot of this stuff that our government just probably won't do because I think they want it. They want it to kind of happen in a way because then they can implement more of their strict policy, I guess. I don't know how to really explain it, but. They'll they'll use it as an excuse for them to need more power to do more. And what will a scared populace do? Oh, yes, big brother government. Save us. We'll give you whatever power you want. And in lockstep, the government will say, why, thank you, we will take that. And then they'll do basically whatever they want, and it won't change a dang thing other than just give them more power. Um, so let's see. Ukraine has ceased exports of wheat, oats, millet, buckwheat, and cattle. And Russia has banned exports of fertilizer because there is going to be a for- fertilizer shortage due to, I think there was a, a major fertilizer producer uh, that had a factory fire or something like that. So it shut down and ruined a bunch of the fertilizer. I don't remember if it was in China or exactly where it was, but, uh, you don't grow a lot of these ginormous acreages of any kind of fruit, vegetables, and whatever without fertilizer these days. It just doesn't happen because there are so many nutrients being taken out of the ground that you don't get a good yield without replenishing it with fertilizer. Um, together, Russia and Belarus provide nearly 40% of the global exports of potash, a key fertilizer ingredient. Russia also exports 48% of the global ammonium nitrate, and combined with Ukraine, they export 28% of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium fertilizers. 
experts are now predicting fertilizer prices may double as a result of Russia's ban on fertilizer exports. The long-term answer lies in regenerative biodynamic farming, which does not use any chemical inputs. Uh, So that's what I've been saying before, is we need to adapt to our climate. Uh, Just like with climate change, we need to adapt to it. We don't need to, oh, we can't do this or do that, because essentially a lot of this stuff is going to happen naturally anyways. And it has happened over over the centuries. Um, The long, let's see, in the featured video... Okay, so they have a video, I guess, in this article as well. I'm not going to get into that too much. But anyways, it says that they discuss one of the greatest threats currently facing the people of the world, namely food shortages and skyrocketing food prices. According to a recent NPR report, the global food price... Well, and if it's coming from NPR, I don't know how much I trust them anyways. uh, The global food price index hit its highest recorded level in March 2022, rising to 12.6% in a single month. On average, food prices were one-third higher than in March of 2021. In the U.S., food prices rose 9% in 2021 and predict... Why do they keep adding that in there? It's the same thing I've already read three times now. (laughs) Uh, But while the Ukraine conflict is cited as the primary cause, it's not the sole reason. Price inflation was already ramping up well before Russia went into Ukraine, thanks to the uncontrolled printing of fiat currencies that occurred in response to the COVID pandemic. Um, the climate has also been uncooperative, causing poor harvests around the world. China, for example, has reported it expects the lowest harvest yields in history this year, thanks to serious flooding of its farmland in the fall of 2021. A compounding crisis threatened global food productivity. That said, the Russia-Ukraine conflict is certainly making a bad problem worse. Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe, responsible for producing and exporting 12% of all food calories traded on the international market. Russia is also a major exporter of food, and together with Ukraine, the two countries account for nearly 30% of global wheat exports, nearly 20% of the world's corn, and more than 80% of sunflower oil. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's projections, wheat exports from Russia and Ukraine will be reduced by more than 7 million metric tons in 2022. At the same time, the Ukrainian government has decided to ban all export of wheat, oats, millet, buckwheat, and cattle to ensure food safety for its own people, while Russia has banned exports of fertilizer. As reported by Wired, the current food crisis in Ukraine is made up of several components and the effects will have a worldwide rippling effect thanks to our dependency on global trade. Uh, Serious fertilizer fertilizer shortage looms. Together, Russia and Belarus provide nearly 40%. Okay, it's repeating that one too. Uh, Experts are now predicting fertilizer prices may double As a result of Russia's ban on fertilizer exports, for some farmers, that will be a death knell for causes for them to go out of business. The rest will be forced to charge more for their commodities, resulting in skyrocketing food prices. So there you kind of have it on that. There's a lot more to this article here. So like I said, if you want to read these type of articles, uh, subscribe to Epic Times. Like I say, this digital copy is like seven bucks a month. Not really that expensive. It's a lot cheaper than a newspaper.
and then you can just go through it and click on whatever stuff you want to read and you don't got to worry about waiting for a newspaper to come you're getting all the latest updates come to your your app on your phone or whatever perfect um let's see where else are we here let's go down the list shall we oh no 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 that one's off checked off the list where are we kind of talked pretty much for the most part about the whole digital currency thing and how that's gonna work out um like i say the the blackrock ceo they own probably oh i don't remember what the number is it was something staggering amount of property and different investments but he wants to basically get corporations to force behavior behaviors of uh, ordinary people so <clears throat> what does that mean from the clash daily blackrock ceo speaks openly about corporations forcing behaviors of ordinary people is there still anything free about the free market not if this guy has any say in the matter Larry Fink is the CEO of BlackRock. That may not mean much to most people in flyover country, but he's a guy with a lot of influence, a lot of influence. And he is looking to leverage that influence against people like you and me. If you are using your freedom the wrong way, this guy thinks corporations need to flex their power to limit your choices to only the good ones. You know, kind of like how China's CCP controls its prisoner, I mean, scratch that out, citizens, here is the money quote. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink says he believes in forcing behaviors. Behaviors, quote, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing we are asking companies to have to force behaviors. And at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. And I guess there's a. I, I know I've heard him say it somewhere. I don't know. There's probably a link somewhere in here, but. Not going to go to it. We're already seeing examples of head funds far smaller than BlackRock using their money and influence to pressure corporations to, in turn, pressure the rest of us to fall into line with their ideological agendas. For example, the story of Engine Number One and Exxon. In 2020, James began to put together a new firm that would embrace this philosophy. One of his first recruits took him across the country to New York City. There he met with Penner, who was already engaged in impact investing in Jana, which had 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 some early success. In 2018, Jana and the California State Teachers Retirement System teamed up to urge Apple to take steps to stem smartphone addiction among children, and the tech giant quickly responded. Uh, By the fall of 2019, Penner had set his sights on bigger fish. He wanted to run a proxy battle at Exxon which was not only the biggest climate change denier among the oil majors, but was also suffering from its overinvestment in fossil fuels. But it was a struggle to raise money for the effort. Now, did you hear that? Uh, A proxy battle at Exxon. Now, who is Exxon? They deal in fossil fuels. And he's saying they're the biggest climate change denier of the major oil companies. But it was also suffering from its overinvestment in fossil fuels. You mean the thing that it does, ExxonMobil and fossil fuels, you know, pretty much the same thing. 
but they're over investing in it. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the then COVID shut down the global economy. Quote, COVID was a real turning point. Everybody sheltering in place. It's like we were in a cocoon. And in that year, we metamorphosized. Says as you, as you sows Behar. I don't know if that's somebody's name or not. That's kind of a strange name. But it's capitalized like it's somebody's name. As you sow, sows Behar. Anyways. Quote, we saw Black Lives Matter. We saw racial justice out on the streets. People risking their lives with COVID. People saying, I've had enough. I need change. Hmm. Interesting. If you've been scratching your head here about why megacorps seem to be embracing Chinese censorship and turning their back on Western notions of freedom, maybe this attitude and mentality has something to do with it. But you might wonder, is this really a big deal? Yes, and probably a lot bigger than you might think. So part of that whole thing, what uh, this other part of the article is saying about the proxy war uh, on Exxon. So what they end up doing is if they can, if these firms can buy, get people to buy enough stock in the company to be able to get onto the boards, uh, especially if you're an environmentalist and you somehow have got a lot of money that can buy a ton of stock in these companies to be able to essentially buy your position, a board position to the company, <coughs> excuse me, then you can start uh, directing where the company, how it goes. You see how that works? And they've been doing this with a, a couple of different you know, places, especially with fossil fuel investment. Um. Oh, excuse me one more time. <coughs> Dang it. <clears throat> Been talking too much with those skin dry. Uh so that's kind of what they're they're working at here. You get these big investment firms, especially like BlackRock. This Larry Fink guy, he's the CEO. Um part of not everywhere, but a lot of the reason why certain places have higher uh home costs if you're trying to get into a home and homes you know the prices of homes are skyrocketing everywhere it's because people like Larry Fink and BlackRock are going in and offering sometimes uh up to a hundred thousand dollars more than what the house appraises for to buy it from people which drives up the price in the market for everybody else so you essentially can't afford to buy a place so it really limits the number of people that can still afford to buy a home or even get finance for a home but then blackrock will own it in their portfolios and then they can rent it back out hence the the whole dynamic of this world economic forum of you will own nothing and be happy about it that's that's their whole philosophy here and they're using these investment companies because BlackRock has like, I think, trillions of dollars worth of assets. So anyways, this article goes on. Founded by Larry Fink in 1988, BlackRock is the most powerful Wall Street fund in the world with, oh, nine trillion worth of assets under management. So, you know, just chump change. <laughs> That's larger than the gross domestic product of every single country around the globe, with the exception of China and the United States.
BlackRock Rock's absurd liquidity means that if you look at just about every major publicly traded company in the world, you'll find that BlackRock is its first, second, or third largest shareholder. Go ahead, try it. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk about why you shouldn't be scared of BlackRock. You should be terrified. What BlackRock does is terrifying. If you put the big three asset management firms together, being BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, they control a collective of $15 trillion. That's roughly 70% of the United States GDP. Well, that was probably when the United States had a GDP. <laughs> uh, that's not really funny, but it is. But this isn't why you should be terrified of BlackRock. You should be terrified because they are a linchpin between Wall Street and Washington, D.C., as the cabal goes with corruption. During the 2008 housing crisis, when the government bailed out the too-big-to-fail giants like Lehman Brothers, Citigroup, AIG, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac, who do you think the Federal Reserve hired to clean up the mess? You guessed it, BlackRock. <laughs> Uh, when he talks about telling corporations to wield control over private individuals, which corporations do you think he means? All of them. The short clip here was genius in that it levered the cringe dance clips of TikTok to get a message out there that most Zoomers would never see. Uh, it gives you a peek into the massive influence of these massive hedge funds. Uh, and it's a TikTok video from Twitter, which I'm not going to play. Um, and then the article goes on. Yeah, this is the guy who thinks that you need to be controlled, so it must tie into the whatever that video clip is. And he has people in Biden's inner circle. Hmm, that probably don't help out the situation. Remember that Civil War left the wanted to turn America blue. Oh, wait. Remember that Civil War, the left wanted to turn America blue, whether the red states wanted it or not, it is not going to take the form you think it will. Are you awake yet? And that's that article there. <clears throat> so I think uh, to shorten this podcast down a little bit, the last thing I'm going to go over is gun control. <clears throat> because it's a never-ending battle if you believe in the Constitution and our civil liberties, and believe in the Second Amendment, and it giving the American people kind of a hedge against this rogue power of federalized government, and or any governments, that Biden has now come out with his new executive order to try and fight ghost guns. <clears throat> And the problem with that is, is that Biden and many of these other useful idiots, for the most part, don't know anything about guns. But somehow they're the experts on what new gun control laws we need to stop criminals from using them. <laughs> uh, and I don't have the article right here about it. But, yeah, dang it. I don't know. I thought I had it here, but I guess I don't. So, anyways, it is a thing that he's doing. And essentially what he's, you know, claiming a ghost gun is, is a gun that doesn't have a serial number to it. 
because you can buy kit guns and put them together from scratch, basically. Uh, but it's no different than if you have a legally purchased gun and you take a file to the, the serial number or an engraver or whatever and just scratch the numbers out. It essentially, in his mind, turns that into a ghost gun because they can't track it, which it's illegal for them to have a gun registry in the first place, the federal government. they It's none of their business what guns you have. Uh, it is their business if you get caught committing a crime with one to prosecute you, uh, not just keep turning criminals out of prison, especially violent criminals, uh, to create, here it is, it's, they got to create a problem so they can be the heroes and come in and solve it by taking more people's rights away. <laughs> that's essentially what it comes down to. And that's how they keep getting away with this crap. So he's going to, you know, give an executive order to send the DOJ to crack down on ghost guns. You know, just like the whole BS narrative of the gun show loopholes. You know, all these all these illegal weapons that are coming from these these gun shows because they don't require a background check. And when, like I say, I don't think there's ever been a gun show I've ever been to that hasn't required any of the sellers that have been there to not run a background check on you. Now, I think what a lot of the problem is, is they want to get this so-called universal background check passed through Congress and make it law because that way it requires any citizen that's doing a private transaction to a private citizen transaction to require you to do a background check on whoever it is you're selling that weapon to uh, and essentially, I mean, in some, in one very small way, I can see where that would be good, but more than likely anybody that's a legit, legitly concerned gun owner in the first place, you know, if there seems to be something off with somebody that was wanting to buy a gun from you that you were selling more than likely you're going to say, ah, you know, what? I don't, I don't think I can sell this to you. You know, you're going to come up with a reason not to sell them the, the gun because something's off with this person. But Big Brother wants it to be part of their job, their duty, to know everything about you, about everybody else, so it's easier to control you because they know your habits, and uh, especially with the guns, if they don't control them, uh, if they decide they you're a dissident of their cause, they want to know everything to, you know, essentially come in the middle of the night with an army of, you know, policemen or whatever, whoever they're going to send after you with their weapons to take your weapons. <laughs> but in the meantime, hey, let's send billions of dollars worth of weapons to Ukraine that can eventually, you know, like in, uh, I don't know, let's say Afghanistan, end up in our enemy's hands. All while we're going to turn around to the American public and say, you know what? We need to take your guns away because we don't trust you with them. But over here, we're going to spend $800 billion to the military 
to go create wars. Uh, who knows if we're we're probably going to end up in Ukraine eventually. <coughs> Dang, sorry about that. Because, in my opinion, Biden's got some stuff over there he's got to clean up that's going to, I think, make him look really bad and indict him basically into uh, whatever dirty work was going on over there with him and his son and the Ukrainian gas company and just in general in Ukraine with the corruption. <coughs> oh, dang. I've definitely got to end this because my voice is getting dry. I'm getting coffee. <clears throat> Not real coffee, but I'm starting to cough. You know what I mean? So I think we'll just end it on that. And just like I've said many, many times before, get yourself a copy of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Read through it, understand it, because realistically, this country could reset back to the original form of that without needing the the hundreds of thousands of laws that have been created since this country's inception to live a more simplistic lifestyle without all this other BS. You know, erase all them laws. Let's start all over. Let's reset back to the Constitution. Instead of all these BS laws that give the government power, but take it away from we the people. Read it, learn it, love it. Let's live it. But anyways, this, this is this week's episode of the Nielsen Show winds down now. Uh, I guess I should have started out with this, but I hope everybody had a great Easter weekend. And good times with family members and your churches or whoever, whatever you did. This weekend, camping, uh, it's getting warmer in some place where you can actually do that. Um, that, you know, that everybody's had a, had good, a good weekend. And with that, I shall bid you farewell. Uh, this is Justin Nielsen here once again. Always improving and still never getting better. Signing off. Until next week, folks, have a good one. <laughs>